The Fail On Podcast, episode 021. I've seen some people who don't like to get outside their comfort zone. And so they don't necessarily grow to that same level. And, you know, I see some of those people, I, I tell them they're, you know, I said, look, you have to, you know, just try, like, don't come down hard on yourself if something doesn't, don't worry about what other people are thinking. Just go and just try. Because if you don't try, you will never know and you will never learn. Welcome to the Fail On Podcast, where we explore the hardships and obstacles today's industry leaders face on their journey to the top of their fields through careful insight and thoughtful conversation. By embracing failure, we'll show you how to build momentum without being consumed by the result. Now, please welcome your host, Rob Nunnery. Hey there, and welcome to the show that believes embracing failure and sharing your honest struggle is the only way to achieve your dreams. In a world that only shares successes, we share the struggle by talking to honest and vulnerable entrepreneurs. These are their stories. Today's Fail On featured guest is Diana Goodwin. Diana is the founder of Aqua Mobile, which is an on-demand at-home swim school service, now the largest of its kind in North America. Diana is an accomplished entrepreneur and a thought leader on bootstrapping businesses to seven figures. She's been featured in a ton of publications, including Forbes, Success Magazine, The Huffington Post, Tech Vibes, Mashable, amongst many others. We'll be discussing why she prefers to bootstrap rather than raise capital, her experience with Dragon's Den in Canada and what it led to with her business, and the moment she actually decided to leave her day job because her dissatisfaction in that job exceeded her level of comfort. But first, if you'd like to stay up to date on all the Failon podcast interviews and key takeaways from each guest, simply go to failon.com and sign up for our newsletter at the bottom of the page. That's failon.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Failon podcast. Today, we've got Diana Goodwin in the house. Really excited to have you on the show today. Welcome to the Failon podcast. Thanks, Rob. Happy to be here. And I'm in, is Toronto your hometown? It is my hometown. So you grew up here, grew up high here. school, university, everything here? Everything here, yep. Awesome. University of Toronto, yep. You didn't, you guys didn't roll out the red carpet with the weather. I'm sorry, Rob. <laughs> I know, I was going to say, it's, today it's cloudy and rainy, two things they don't have in California. Yeah, very rarely. <laughs> Actually, this winter, this is going to sound super snobbish, but we've had like terrible weather. And what I mean by terrible weather is this rain, like I can count on two hands how many times it's rained this winter. And that's a lot for San Diego. Well, actually, I was in California during that torrential downpour that you guys had. I was actually more more in LA at that time, but it was, you know, people were saying it was, you know, it's been 10 years and they haven't seen yeah. rain like this ever. So I get it. You're a little bit used yeah. to it, but the whole city <laughs> right. shuts down when it oh, rains a little crazy. bit. crazy. And people drive like nut jobs. Like, you know, here... Well, like I grew up in Georgia in the south, and whenever it would like we'd get a very light snow, I'm talking like not even like an inch, people would rush to the grocery stores, get milk, and they were just <laughs> the worst drivers in the world because they were so terrified of driving in the snow. But in California, it's the rain. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Anyways, let's just jump right into it. Yeah, absolutely. So what's, if you have to go back, what was the first time in your life where somebody actually gave you money in exchange for a product or a service you created, whether it's your current business or whether it was a previous business? Mm-hmm. So when I was a kid, you know, I think it probably started when I was around six, seven years old. I was I was one of those kids that was always looking for ways to make money. Like I loved so you're creating like the, the grow, like the born entrepreneur. I was I, it definitely was in my blood. So you know, it could be even things like you know trying to you know put on a garage sale with my parents' stuff like stuff that I thought they didn't want or need anymore. And I would go and <laughs> would sell you it. ask them or you just so, take their stuff and sell it? <laughs> depends, depends. Some, some of both. You know, I, I made, I had, you know, jewelry that I would make and sell. So it was always something that I was trying to create when I was younger. Was it something that your parents kind of like led you towards? Or is it something that you feel like it just kind of, you saw the world in that kind of lens? You know, I think where my parents helped is I was, I'm, I was and still am, you know, a very strong headed child. I, I was, you know, I, I was going to do what I was going to do. And, you know, to their credit, they let me go and explore. They didn't force me down one path or another. If I wanted to, whether it was trying a certain sport or, you know, a certain activity, they were very open to that. And they never, they never shut me down. They were always supportive of it because they were more science background. They didn't, 
necessarily come from that entrepreneurial background at all. So, but it was something that I think by for them to be open-minded parents and let me, you know, trust me enough to go and explore and learn that way. I think that fostered, you know, what I was able to become. That's cool. So you, so you're starting to be an entrepreneur as a kid, just garage sale stuff. Do you actually remember, maybe not, but do you actually remember the first time somebody actually gave you the dollar and you're like, wow. (laughs) I don't. I mean, in terms of money, like one thing that, you know, with my current business that was, that I remember still is, you know, again, because I'm Canadian, I did start my, you know, Aquamobile in, in Canada. And so when I first expanded into the U.S., that moment, that moment of checking the online system and seeing that there was a customer in Orlando, Florida that had purchased lessons and had booked in with one of our swim instructors. Why was that so cool? Like why, why, why the States? Because I'm sure you had customers outside of Toronto and Canada, yes. right? So not physically where you're located. Yeah, we were across, across Ontario and you know, across num- many number of cities. But I knew to get the business to where I wanted to grow it in terms of size that I would need to go into the US market pretty quickly just because I mean 10 times more people than in Canada and and in a smaller landmass you know more condensed which for a business like mine where my swim instructors are traveling to clients homes it makes it easier and so that was huge because I put so much work into understanding the US market and building out kind of my corporate structure and getting everything set up so that I could succeed in the US. And it, it wasn't easy. It took a lot of work at the beginning. So to see that and, and be like, wow, it's working. People are they're, they're buying. And so that's pretty powerful, especially now when you, I, I look back to that. So that I remember. And now US revenue is over 70% of our total revenue. Oh, that's so, crazy. And yeah. when, when was it that you first went into the US market? What? Timeline. So that would have been in 2012. Okay. So about five years. Five years ago. Yeah. So pretty quickly after, after launching, I knew I needed to, to go into the U S and so Florida was my first, first test market. It was one of the natural spots. I mean, in retrospect, if I could do it over again, I would, I would do California first, but in any case, I think for me, just there's a lot more, a lot more people in California and I think a lot of people, a lot more people w- willing to spend money on the best, the top services. I mean, Florida has been great for us. It's still, you know, our, you know, biggest state. You know, we've also been there the longest. But, you know, for me, it was, an, it was a great place to go because my family, my, you know, also had, this is a very common Canadian thing. They're Everybody called goes to snowbirds. For, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so I had a place where I could work on my business low cost. So get a lay of the land, spend some time there and, you know, not have to you know, spend money renting a place. I, you know, I could, I could deal with that, you know, use their car to get around. So it was just a low risk way to do things, especially because, you know, I, you know, was bootstrapping the business. I wasn't looking for venture capital. I was doing it on my own. And so, you know, every dollar counts. Yeah. And what was the size of the business before you moved into the U.S. market? Ooh, let's see. It was probably only around... I would say one hundred to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I would say before moving in. And how long had you been operating the business at that point that you'd gotten it to six figures like that? Technically, about a year, but I had a small client base, very small, from kind of my, you know, I had another business called Swim for Life Aquatics from when I was younger, like when I would go and teach clients. So I myself just would be a go. swim instructor. I was I was a swim instructor. I did everything. I did the marketing, the bookkeeping, and. That was, you know, just a little business that I'd kind of left kind of on the side. Trading time for money type deal. I didn't really have, you know, it was never meant to be anything big. But once I got into the corporate world, I kept it running, but had, you know, friends or other instructors on staff. And so, you know, I basically went away and did my MBA for a year. And while I was there, I kind of transitioned. I was like, look, this is the time I'm going to turn this into an international company. So, you know, all that to be said, I had a little bit of a client base from that old business that I kind of carried over. So I didn't have to, when I started, I didn't have to start at, at scratch, like, you know, right at, you know, $0 revenue. I had a little bit, so I knew there was that market there. And so once I finished my MBA, end of 2011, that's kind of where I just, you know, kind of worked full time on the business. So finished out that, that year and then 2011, sorry, 2012 is then, yeah, when I started did in you, the U.S. Did you get the idea for the company 
why you were doing your MBA and that's what made you transition into it? No. So because I, I'd had this idea. So to give you a little bit of context, when I graduated from my undergrad, so I had a commerce background, commerce undergrad, I was recruited to go work at a management consulting company, Bain & Company, which is fairly well-known company, well-known and a very great place to learn. And so while I was there, again, I still had that entrepreneurial spirit and drive and I was starting to become burnt out, not as happy with my job. And so I would brainstorm ideas with a friend who was also unhappy in her job. And then one day it kind of came to me, I'm like, wait a minute, what am I doing, wasting my time coming, trying to come up with all these new ideas when I have this old business that I'd totally been ignoring because I just didn't have time because I was working so much. Was Why that business I, still running at the time? It was still running, like but it was- other instructors, that kind of thing? Yeah, there was a few other instructors, but I mean, on my end, you know, a couple hours a week, I really didn't have much time. And it was like the two-hour work week. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I just, plus, plus my 60 hours at, or plus at another job. And so that's where I was like, you know what, this is where I'm going to, I'm going to take that and, re- and make it something big. And that's where I said, I'm going to take that idea and use it. I did a one-year MBA and I took courses that would, I'd be able to focus on that business. So market research course, business plan writing course, where I'd be able to bring in, you know, a group of smart students who come from different backgrounds. Smart, yeah. Yeah, bring, their, bring everyone's brains together and, and get this thing done and, and use that for our class projects. That's awesome. So you actually use your MBA as almost like a tool. Like most people just get their MBA to get their MBA and to like propel them into like a corporate mm-hmm. job that pays better than it would if you just had your undergrad degree. Mm-hmm. So you actually used it to strategically figure out how to direct the business that you're creating. Yeah. And, you know, that was at a time. So I started my MBA in, I guess, June of 2010. And so that was at a time when, you know, everyone was saying, oh, like, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you don't need to go do your MBA. What are you doing? Right, right. And so I was really torn whether I was going to go or not, because I'd already been accepted because that's kind of the management consulting path to go on. You do two, three years as a management consulting consultant, then you go get your MBA and then you come back. So I was, you know, I kind of mid midstream, I switched and I'm like, no, I can't go back. <laughs> I need to, you know, go do my own thing. But in the end, after a lot of soul searching, I did choose to go and I'm so happy I did, you know, not just to help grow my business. It was really good that way, but just from even personal growth and just even what I learned and even the network I've built that I still tap into today, you know, I spent almost a month in California, mid-January to mid-February of this year. I met, you know, trying to do some on-the-ground business development for Aquamobile and so many Kellogg contacts. You know, that's where I went and did my MBA and had so many great meetings, so many people that have helped, that helped me and opened doors for me. So, you know, it's not just about the -the in-class stuff. It's that network that you have for years later, supportive network of people wanting to help each other. And... I think now, I mean, at the time, it was very rare for an MBA student to be doing there, to be working on a business while there. Things have changed now. Literally, I would say a year or two after I was there, I think all of the schools, whether Harvard, Stanford, Kellogg, or required to start a business, right? It's, well, it's just there's so much more support to it. They're throwing tons of money towards like incubators and business plan writing competitions, all sorts of things to support to support the students and help them innovate. When I was there, that type of funding definitely wasn't there to help, but there was definitely support from the students where someone would hear what I was working on just through through word of mouth, through other people, and and they'd reach out and say, look, I heard what you're doing. I think it's awesome. I used to be a swim coach or happy to give you any advice you need. Like People were excited about it and were so supportive because I think for a lot of them, they knew they were going back into the corporate world so that they could help like help a fellow Touch student something. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so it was, it was just so so touching to That's you know cool. to have all of that support so what's been the toughest part about getting aquamobile off the ground and actually making money and profitable the toughest part so because i've chosen to bootstrap the business i would say one of the hardest things is it's really important to make sure that every dollar is being maximized and so sometimes that means you know I don't just have money to throw at a problem to make it go away. Even when hiring sometimes, I can't necessarily, you know, couldn't always afford like the top superstar that's commanding a six-figure salary. I have to more, you know, maybe be a little scrappy and look for that, you know, someone who's maybe a little younger, who's kind of that up-and-coming superstar, has potential, train them, grow them, nurture them. So that can be that can be challenging. Another challenging thing with Aquamobile is it is a seasonal business, seasonal in terms of when we generate our revenue. 
So, you know, we'll have our busy season, let's call it April or May to September. And then it just dies. It's like crickets. And so we are, I mean, we're still operating, but compared to the busy season, it really calms down. And so, you know, it's tough because, you know, we also have seasonal workers, whether it's the swim instructors, whether it's our customer service team. So we really have this kind of ramping up and ramping down. So really have to kind of manage that. That's that's challenging because you've got this great talent, you've trained them, and then you can't keep them on continuously right. all right. the time. What's the actual business model? Like, how do you actually make money? So basically, we have a network of swimming instructors across the US and Canada, and they will travel to clients' home and condo pools. And so how we make money is we will have like a, a customer can either call our, our sales team or use our platform themselves online. And, online, enter in their pool address, and they'll be able to see the instructors who are available in their area. So availability, bios, pictures, certifications, and then they can see the real-time you know, availability, like days and time. So they can book and pay online. Do you have like ratings and reviews of the instructors? We do. So we, you can't see our ratings on, on the public facing. We do have kind of a two-way rating system. So customers can rate instructors and instructors can rate customers. And we see that. So it's a way for us, if there's any problems, we can see it immediately and address it. And I mean, the good thing is the reason why we also don't publicly show it is we're different from a lot of marketplace and we're heavily curating our instructors. So it's not like anyone, you know, marketplace apps are popping up all over the place where anyone can join I go and, be a swim instructor. Ex- an offer, but not at Aquamobile. Exactly, so, yeah. yeah, because we, we curate our instructors and do you have to apply if you're an instructor to like, you have to go through a multi-step process to join. And so that's where I think we're adding, we add a lot of value that a lot of these marketplaces don't because we're heavily curating the instructors and then we're providing the service because a lot of our clients are parents who don't know what, how many lessons per week should they, they should be having, what type of instructor for their kids, how long is it going to be before they learn how to swim or do this skill or that skill. And so, you know, they can call our customer service team, which is actually all either current swim instructors or former swim instructors. So they've, they've got that knowledge so that they can help parents. And that's, that's been huge to, to be able to provide that additional information. So we definitely heavily leverage, you know, technology, but we understand that that personal touch is a way that we can add value, whether it's making sure that you're getting a high quality instructor or by, you know, providing top-notch customer service. Got it. Yeah. And I think I threw us off on there. I think I interjected because <laughs> I was just curious. But so back, sorry, back to the business model. Oh, the business model. Yeah. So how, <laughs> how do you how, make money? Yeah. How do we make money? Okay. So customers will then go and book and pay for once they've, you know, seen the instructors, the, you know, pick the instructor they like, they will book and pay for time slots online. Gotcha. Let's say a dollar amount. Yeah. So it depends on the area. Most areas will be between $75 to $85 an hour. And within that, you can split the time however you want. So if a family, if someone has two kids, they can do a private 30 minute. Half hour, half hour. Exactly. Or sometimes if cost is an issue, families will bring in a couple neighbors. And, you know, so maybe there's four kids now splitting. Exactly. And it's still, you know, you can still then get, you know, two kids for one instructor per half hour and, and have a, a great lesson and, and get a lot of value out of it. And so, you know, customers will pay that hourly rate. And then once the lessons occurred, we will then pay our instructors out on a per hour, like for per hour, like, so however many hours they... What kind of percentage are they getting of that 75, 85? So they tend to get, depending on the area. So in those type of areas, around $30 an hour, some areas will be will be more. So it kind of we kind of set it as um, depends on geography or what. Or? Yeah, a lot of it's on geography. So for example, you know, one of our most expensive areas would be the Hamptons. That's probably not surprising to anyone. And so there, the instructors are are making at least at least sixty dollars an hour. But a lot of them are also you know maybe traveling from from further out to get there because they're not necessarily living right in the Hamptons or further on to Long Island. So. Uh, so I used to actually live on the North shore of Long Island for about a year. I was coaching tennis at a, at a university there called Stony Brook. And I would actually go out to the Hamptons also doing a service-based business. And I would coach tennis to clients out in the Hamptons. And it's, yeah, the, the prices you could charge <laughs> out there you, I guess are you would charge a, a little stupid. bit more out there. Yeah. yeah. You could charge crazy prices per hour out there, but 
Yeah, no, it just made me think of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's based on kind of geography. That's basically yeah. Some areas are are just going to be be more than others. But. Got it. And I know you said so. You you started this whole thing bootstrapping. I did read that you were on Dragon's Den, right? I was on Dragon's Den. So, <laughs> so tell me about that process. Like, what was the application process like? What was what was it like being on the show? Now I know. It, I, it's funny. I know the process for both Shark Tank and Dragon's Den. So I, mm. I so did you apply to Shark Tank? I, I would have loved to be on Shark Tank, but I'm especially because that's where most of our clients are and right. opportunity for oh, growth. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not a U.S. resident, and that is their that's kind of like yeah, that's their number Got one it. requirement. But it's very different in that on Dragon's Den, so you go to in-person auditions. That is kind of the main driver of who goes on the TV show. Whereas on Shark Tank, it's very different in that they only have, I think, two live audition days. Most everyone I know who's ever been on Shark Tank, a producer reached out to them. So oh, very different process. So basically, you, sh- you kind of fill out an online form for Dragon's Den, print it off, show up on the audition day. And, you know, you wait, you're given a number, you wait in line, and you then go and talk to the producers are paired up. So there might be anywhere from eight to 10 producers and you kind of go to whatever table opens up next. You go to that table of two producers and you you basically give a couple minute pitch. Are you scared? It's funny. So I auditioned twice. So I first auditioned probably in maybe 2013 or so. And I didn't have, at the time, the business, like, no, the producers didn't get my business whatsoever. They didn't the model. The or, model okay, they didn't get sure. it. And the funny thing is, back then Uber wasn't really as big so of a deal, so I couldn't like really just <laughs> to make them understand. Yeah, right, right. And and also we were just kind of in Ontario. We were just kind of getting our like we were also the only other place we were in was Florida, and it wasn't like that big yet, so it wasn't as compelling to them. And I think one producer was into it. The other woman just she didn't she didn't get it. It wasn't her. She's like, why don't you just take your kids to a community center pool? <laughs> and I'm like, no. I, I said, no, like that's the whole different. Like we're providing the convenience, the private high quality so the kids can so actually learn. Are you on that note? And I don't want to get us like last time too far <laughs> off subject, but it just made me think. So are you targeting pretty much like we mentioned that you mentioned the Hamptons. Is it a high end service like where you're targeting affluent families? You know, it's it can be all I, th- I think it's within reach of. You can make what you want of it. You know, if you want to, you want to have split it, it up with four exactly. or five kids, you can. So, yeah. you know, but at the same time, so, I mean, yes, it's a bit of a premium service if you're, especially if you're doing it where you have just one kid and you're giving them a full hour. But again, you can bring in other neighbors and then it's much more affordable. And here's the thing, over the long term, if you get private swim lessons versus if you keep going to group community yeah. center where there's eight kids every half an hour, I guarantee you your lifetime cost of what you spend on swimming lessons will be smaller if you just do the private lessons and get the skills solidified. So it's one of those things that some people are like realize that and, and put a premium on that. And also you're having an instructor come right to your door at times that you choose and it's I mean our prices are no more expensive than any other personal trainer like even like my gym that I go to if you want a personal training session it's $120 yeah, it's crazy, an hour right? yeah. and I'm going to the gym so it's not like I've got someone showing up at my door and and so you know it's it, it depends who you ask some people will say our lessons are a great deal other people will say it's too expensive sure, for them so sure. it totally depends on on who you ask got it got it so okay so I'm gonna try to reel us back to Dragon's Den. So that lady didn't get first audition. First audition didn't, didn't get it. Yeah. So I was nervous and I'd, pre- I'd prepared. I worked on my intro and everything. Like, did you get through your, like, the just, pitch? Yeah. yeah they, they, they were like, like, it was just a couple minute pitch. Like, yeah. they, you know. Is it similar to the pitch that you actually give when you're in front of the. It's sim- exactly similar to that kind of like, this is what I'd, I'm, I'm asking for. Here's my business. Here's how much money we make. And I think. You know, so also given that my business is more of a service business, it's not like I had a physical product that I could get the dragons to taste or to try on. There was nothing like that. So that didn't help my cause. And I knew going into the situation, it was going to be harder for them to see that. So I. So what happened second time around that made the switch flip for them? I think a few different things. So it's funny. The funny story is when I went to show up the second time, the producer, so two years late, two years after that first rejection, I went back and I was slated to go to the table and the producer that 
didn't get my idea last same time. <laughs> same time. So, <laughs> so what I did actually, I, I told the head producer that was slotting. I'm like, oh, I actually, you know what? I'm not ready. I have to go to the bathroom. So, so I, 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 <laughs> I, I just went away for a couple minutes so that another person would go to her table. And then I, I got to the next table. The next table was the other producer no. that was there. But he actually remembered me. And he oh, was like, nice. oh, yeah, like you were here last year. I'm like, yeah, it was actually two years. So he was, he was into it. And, you know, I did say this time around, I said, here's what I would do to make it interesting for TV. Like, so I tried to give oh, them ideas nice. and get that. So you got in their head a little bit. I got well, in got their head. Their shoes. And- yeah. And here's the thing. Also at that point, it was two years later. Like to me, honestly, the numbers spoke for themselves for the business. And, and I also teed it up at that point because that was 2015, I believe now. I teed it up with, we are Uber for swim lessons. So right away, it's something that they immediately get. And it's something that the audience would immediately get. Whether I, I want to use that or not, it just it yeah. just does help people. And so I was so much, I didn't prepare as much this time, but I was just so much more confident because I'm like, look, if you don't want me this time, like, you know, there's nothing else. Because I mean, my numbers spoke for themselves. I was in multiple places in the US and the growth had been really good. So I just was like, look, I had that confidence. And were you confident going in, like after being, so this is like, you know, kind of, the podcast, right? It's fail on, which it seems like after that first, that first audition, you could have been like, well, screw it. They don't, they don't like it. They don't want me, but you didn't, you came back two years later and said, let's, let's learn from the first mistake and let's do it again. See what happens. Exactly. And then this time around, I also had an, a, a nicer looking tech platform. And so I was more confident to show that tech platform. And so, you know, I went on Vista print and I had kind of some big screenshots blown up and I just said, you know, so you know, I showed and I was basically like, walk them through, the... through, you know, customers enter their info here, then they see the instructors, they book the time slots and boom, they're done. And so I had that visual too. And so that's why even when I went on to film Dragon's Den, you know, I was able to show those visuals. So it was something, it wasn't just going to be something conceptual, cheap, exactly. Or like me bringing some kids to splash around in a little <laughs> pool with some right, toys. Right, so right. There was just, there was something more to do because it was the tech part was built out more by then. What gave you more confidence going into that second audition? And because it's not like just come from, just from how you're acting right now, you, you, you know, it sounds like you just crushed that shit the second one, right? Yeah, no, so I, I did. Did I, you go in with that confidence? I did. It did. And how though? But from already being rejected the first time, were you just so confident in what the business was doing? I think at that point, yeah, I had I had more of a leg to stand on that time because it was like, look, you know, we've been we've been doubling in growth for the past few years. We're in multiple states. Here's our tech platform. No one else is doing it. Like, here's where I'm projecting our growth. Boom. Like I was kind of at I'm like, if you don't see if you don't see what this can be, then, then you don't see it, then, whatever. Then that's fine. Like, you know. What year is this? That was 2015. Gotcha. And did you actually... So it was like about two, yeah, two years ago, basically. And you're actually on the show two years ago? It aired. Or when did you actually... The show ended up airing. So I auditioned, I guess, February 2015. I filmed it in May 2015 and it didn't air until March 2016. It was, in my case, a long window before it aired, which was fine by me because I, given that we're seasonal, I would rather Aquamobile go on Dragon's Den in... March than in or you know than in September or December because when no one's thinking about swim lessons so I think at least I think they were probably thinking the same thing and after all that so after being rejected the first time the feedback I got after the filming one of the dragons said you know it's one of the best pitches that they've seen this year so far and then even a couple of the the camera guys came up to me as they were, I was the last one to film that day and they came up and said like, that was awesome. And you crushed it and you know, they see all of these. So it was really nice to get those, those compliments after, you know, from people who have seen what's out there, you know, and after, you know, they after see a having, lot of these pitches, right? Yeah. And after having that initial rejection where like they didn't even want me on it. So what were your nerves like going into the actual filming? Oh man. So, I mean, I, I was pretty nervous that I think. I was very nervous once, once the filming started actually. So (laughs) they have you start, you have to, you kind of are at the top of a platform, a metal platform. So it's up a flight of stairs. You have to walk across this metal platform and then you have to walk down the stairs. Now I'm wearing heels (laughs) and like whenever, like I was nervous and so my legs were shaking. So my biggest fear was actually face planting as I was going to be going down (laughs) the stairs. I was just, I was so terrified. So I, 
like, you know, you kind of want to look up and smile for the camera, right. but I'm, no, Diana, just keep your Focus. eyes down on the, on, the, on the floor and do not <laughs> face plant. That's not the way to start this, yep. this pitch. And so for me, the part where I was most nervous was the first two minutes where I have to say the memorized part. Because again, it's the, whenever you're memorizing something, it's just... It sounds scripted, right? Yeah. And so that was the part I was most nervous about. And I, I knew I was shaking. My, and again, thank God you can't see it on camera, but I was, my legs were shaking. And then once I, after the two minute pitch, the memorization part, I then went and did the, the product demo. And that's when I started to ease up. And then once the question started, it was, I felt it was, it was just like a conversation. It was, it was easy at that point because again, I knew my business so well that I could answer those questions. And it was more of a conversation at that point. And, and it was actually very lighthearted. You know, we would joke around about different things or you know, one of the dragons is, is really big into fashion. So he was asking me who designed my dress. And <laughs> sure. so, I mean, there was some lighthearted banter in there too. I mean, they've been doing this all day oh, for yeah. days. And, and so they've got to keep it fun. They've got to keep it fun. So, so th- I mean, I had a great experience. They were, I feel like because I knew my numbers, they didn't give me too much of a hard time. Whereas I've seen that sometimes on Shark Tank or Dragon's Den, they'll nail you on the numbers if you don't know something or they don't trust you. But once they trust you that you know your stuff, that's not going to be an issue for them. So they're not going to keep digging and digging. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only issues are when you're like, you hesitate on a numbers question and then they just go after you, yeah. right? They sense the blood in the water. Yeah. You hesitate or one of your numbers looks weak or yeah. doesn't make sense. You know, it's like, wait a minute, you have all of this revenue growth, but now you also have half a million in debt. What's going on? And right. then they start to kind of get, get you. Got it. So what's that done for your business? Not only the exposure, but also just the experience of you having to pitch your business and to really dig into your business and get to know yourself and and push yourself outside your comfort zone like that. What's that whole transformation been like to from going through all that to now? Yeah, I mean, so I mean, I think being on there, it definitely made me kind of sharpen up on on all my numbers and know my business inside out and just make a crisp pitch to to people to be succinct with what I'm saying instead of, well, you know, we do this and that. So that was helpful. I think from a brand awareness perspective in Canada, it very much helped. It's a, it's a popular show. There's a million viewers a week. And so to have that brand awareness, even if people weren't necessarily buying because of it, it's just nice to know that people had heard, you know, even in the prairies of Canada where we don't offer swim lessons, you know, people, people know about us there. You know, we had one person, one person join our marketing team and she was home in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And, and she told them where she was going to be working and her relatives had all, like they'd already heard about Aquamobile. So it's nice to, to have that, that kind of brand awareness. Cause I think long-term that will help, you know, with trust, credibility. And so that's, I think those are kind of some of the, the benefits of, you know, of putting myself into that uncomfortable <laughs> place. Sure. What were you actually asking for in the den? So on air, I asked for $200,000 for 10% of the company. Okay. And I ended up getting exactly what I asked for. And then after that, though, I mean... So value, value it was business a value at the time of two. At two. It was a value, yeah, $2 million valuation. That being said, I wasn't, you know, in the end, you know, like most of the deals, they didn't go through. And I wasn't, you know, truth be told, it wasn't at the top of my list. I wanted to get the word out there about Aquamobile, you know, share what we were all about. And, you know, I just felt that my company was worth more of that. And yes, I know that's what I went on and, and asked, but, you know, the valuations on Dragon's Den and Shark Tank, you have to go on in with a different valuation than what the open market would actually value 100%. your company at. So there's always going to be that, that disconnect. So what, what made it fall apart, the, the actual deal afterwards? I guess that would have been May of 2015 when the deal was filmed. On my end, I told them, because the next steps was to go into through due diligence. I said, look, I don't have time for that. Like, I, like this is my busy season. I need to focus for the next few months to make sure that we actually generate the revenue I said right. I was going, <laughs> we were going to generate. Can we table this? So that's what I said. So no, it sounds like you didn't really want the deal anymore. It wasn't, yeah, I mean... They said no problem. And, and then in the meantime, I actually ended up winning a $100,000 grant to grow the business. And so I went to them and I said... So grant meaning... The don't have to give up any just equity. Just free money. <laughs> Here's $100,000. Go grow your it. business. Yeah. 
And who was that through, sorry? That was through TELUS, their major telecom okay. company, TELUS and Globe and Mail. So national newspaper, national telecom company in Canada. And that's something you had to apply for or? It was a big national competition, yeah, through the newspaper. I think they had 3,500 applications. They narrowed it down to five of us. And then we those five five of us had to pitch in front of a panel of judges. So that prep right, that I did spot, that yeah. prep that I did for Dragon's Den was extremely helpful. And I think that's where the feedback I got, that's where the competition, that's where I really set myself apart from the others, just with the proper pitch, what I would do with the money, what the results would be. Got it. What, what so what made you because I'm I'm curious. So what made you turn, is it just that you didn't want to give up equity like after you had gone through it or like what was your thought process? Because most people would be like, you know, $200,000, let's go. I just, at the end of the day, I wanted to hold on to my company to keep it all. And it was one of those things if I thought, I mean, sometimes it's worth giving up a little bit of equity. If someone can offer you something strategic like a door to a massive multi-million dollar deal that's going to be a game changer for your business, then fine, you 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 do that. But for me, I just I wanted to I wanted to stay stay the course what I was doing and I just didn't think taking the money would necessarily be good for either side. I just thought, yeah, I mean at the end of the day I I wanted to kind of keep growing at the bootstrapping method and and focus that way instead of having to sometimes when you bring in investors it can mean having to focus on a different set of metrics. They might be more focused on top line revenue growth as opposed to something that's sustainable for the long term that you can keep your staff employed. You know, I've seen lots of companies in similar type marketplaces crash and burn, raising $40 million over a period of two years. And then year three, they don't exist anymore. And it's sad, right? People lose their jobs and it's it's an innovative service that's no, now no longer there. So I didn't necessarily want to, and I don't want to become one of those. Companies. It doesn't really seem like doesn't really seem like there's a lot of value that could be added with your business model. It's not like you have like a widget that can go be licensed to like the big players where they have connections. You know what I mean? There's not an obvious. Yes, it's not like I have a physical product that exactly. someone can make an intro into. That'll Walmart. make your business go that, from exactly one to exactly. a million. Yeah, yeah, because that sometimes you need those strategic partnerships right. for sure. But in this case, there just there wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. What's been the most painful part of being an entrepreneur to you? Like you've done, you've gone through a lot of, obviously a lot of hardships and struggles and gotten yourself outside your comfort zone often. What's been the most painful part? Most painful part? Or you just feel like, ugh, this is hard. I mean, look, I love what I do, but, and I mean, as much as the business is, you know, the business grows, there are parts where sometimes you're just like, man, like, I wish it would, I wish it would go faster. Like it's never fast enough. Part of the problem is that I have, and that I think a lot of entrepreneurs have, is there's a moving target. So you say, "All oh, right, like once I hit one million dollars in revenue, I'm going to be happy." And then you hit it, and it's kind of like, "Okay, well now you move the target." So you forget, <laughs> right. you forget that you've made your past targets, and so you just keep having this moving target. So you, it's hard to stop sometimes and appreciate just how far you've come. And so I have to remind myself to do that every once in a while. What are ways you do that? Because I know a lot of people I talk to have different rituals, right? Just to kind of stay grounded and stay present, whether it's just, you know, UJ has the five-minute journal, right? So stuff like that, where you're where you're writing down each morning what you're grateful for. Like, do you have any like rituals or practices that help you do that? I think one of the things I do is I do, when I do kind of see myself falling into that trap, I, I do try and step back and be like, whoa, like let's, let's remember just how much you've accomplished, just how, you know, just how many people you're making happy and remember that, you know, you've already technically, you've made your goal, but now you've moved it. So I do kind of have to reframe. I reframe the way I'm thinking, be like, wait a minute, remember what your previous goal was and you made that. So don't be too hard on yourself. Yeah. I was, I was, I was actually going to ask that. Are you pretty hard on yourself in terms of you always feel like you should be doing better than you are? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's, yeah, that's one of my, my challenges. It's just being like, oh, like, you know, I, you know, especially, you know what, when, cause you put everything, you put your soul into the business, right. And you put everything you have into it. So sometimes you're like, oh, like, why is this so difficult? Why is this happening or, or that? And so I can be, I can be critical of myself and, and, and hard on myself. And I think recognizing that is the first step. That's 100%, I mean, most people yeah. don't even recognize that. So I get it. Like, I know that I can be hard on myself and I can, you know, be a little demanding of myself. And so 
that's fine. I, I, I get it. And I, I just kind of accept it and, and lay off. No, I, I totally get it. And I run into the same stuff where I beat myself up really hard over stuff mm-hmm. where I have to do the same thing. I have to reframe and, and sit back and be like, well, you have a lot to be grateful for. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Like even yesterday, you know, like there was, you know, a couple, a couple things we're trying to do on the website there. They are not going as quickly as I'd like. And so we're a little bit bottlenecked. And then I got some news that, you know, some grant money that I was going to be getting might not be coming through. And I was, you know, being hard on myself. And I woke up this morning. I'm like, you know what? I'm like, I'm going to put on a bright colored shirt. I'm, I'm just like, there's a lot to be grateful for, Diana. Like, just like, it'll, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like find another way. So, so you have to like, so, you know, so maybe you have to delay hiring that additional developer. Like, not a big deal. Figure it out. Rework the plan and, and go from there. Yep. So we were actually in the Bahamas, a group of us from Mastermind Talks. I'm sure, right, yeah. I'm sure you've seen. But I don't remember what the conversation was, but I remember Jason, a few of us were talking. And Jason actually mentioned you. He was like, Diana's incredibly good at getting money f- just from different <laughs> areas. So how do you go about like, how do you, one, how do you identify these different places to find grant money, for example? And I guess... What made you even focus on that? And because it seems to be a big part of your strategy in terms of growing the business. Yeah, and and that's one of the things. Yeah, there's so many more so, and I will say more so in Canada than the U.S. There's there's opportunities out there to grow business. I think the government really realizes that the future of job growth in Canada and keeping talent in Canada lies with innovative companies. And so they are funding the innovative companies. So while large, very large, multi-billion dollar corporations are are cutting people, you know, the cycle is that, okay, well, it's the startups and smaller companies that are going to grow it. So I absolutely try and take advantage of that. So, you know, and whether it's even entering the contest where, yeah, like I had to buckle down and finish an application that was painful to go through, but it turned out to be a hundred thousand dollars. It's worth the pain. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, it's constantly, I'm constantly learning more and more about the grants out there because there are a there are a ton of them. So some of it can be, you know, hiring students who are under 30, giving them kind of their first first job. It could be something like that for technology, for web development. There's a lot of grants, whether it's students who, who are coming from a computer science background or to, you know, if you have like a business case for needing to do some something innovative with your tech platform. So like that's what our tech platform is quite innovative. So we can qualify for those things. So the grant money you get, do you have to deploy that money into the specific area of your business that the grant came from? Like yes. technology, for example. And do they follow up to make sure that's yes, where the money's yes, going? Yeah. So basically, you know, for students. So if they've given you money, it's for a specific student. So they will make sure and you give kind of the pay stubs to show that you are paying that person, you know, you put your signature, their signature, and then you'll get money deposited. It's not like they just give you a lump sum. Okay, here's $50,000, go to town. No, no, it's very structured out. And then there are some other grants that are also for research and development that you could, you might not get that money for like 18 months. Like, so for example, there's a pocket of money that I've claimed for the 2015 tax year that I about twenty thousand dollars that I haven't seen yet, and so because of that, when I'm doing my budgeting, I assume money. in technically, but I've since I've received zero dollars of it, I assume the value is zero, and then if I get that money because it's so far out, if I end up getting that money, great, it's a nice bonus that I wasn't expecting. But there's other grant monies that are. Why does it take so long? It's called Shred S R E D. It's better known as. And that one, it's just this huge backlog. It's a big pro. It's a big thing. Some of the other ones are smaller, and you get the money much, much sooner when you're dealing with kind of like a one-off person. So, those are the best ones to get. The ones where you can, you just know, okay, that they've they've earmarked that money for you, so you know it's coming. And you know, after you spend it, within two to four weeks, you're going to get reimbursed for it. So you can properly plan. Okay, how much development work can I do, or whatnot. And, you know, de- developers, it's just a very expensive thing oh, it, these it days. Is. It's so competitive and it's only going to get more competitive. It is because that's, that's where the world's going. That's exactly. Out of all of your struggles along the journey, growth, getting outside your comfort zone, when you think back to all of it, what makes you go, like, I wouldn't be here today if that hadn't happened to me? <laughs> Like, is there a specific moment in time that you can kind of pinpoint or is it kind of accumulation of different? I think, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, one thing that comes up kind of at this part of my entrepreneurial journey is is probably reaching a point in management consulting where I burnt out. And I think what helped me understand that burnout and just how unhappy I had become in that job was having that little side business that I'd forgotten about. And even though I'd only be putting two hours a week towards it, I loved those two hours. And I could compare those two hours to the rest of the time I was spending. I'm like, look, I enjoy working on this. I'm not enjoying working over here. There's a huge disconnect in where I want to do it. Whereas a lot of people might not have that understanding because they've only got their one job and they're kind of like, uh, yeah, exactly. like they're not unhappy enough to really the pain's reckon- not the pain's yeah. not bad enough, right? Yeah, and so because I had that comparison, it was very easy to kind of see just how much I I was starting to not feel my <laughs> my day job. So I think that was kind of what really, and then that burnout. I think that kind of then pushed me. Okay. We need to change directions. Got it. For somebody like you just mentioned that maybe just only has that one job, so they don't really know what else is out there. They know they're not happy, but they don't actually know how unhappy they are because they haven't seen something that they really like doing. What advice would you you give to somebody that's maybe in a nine to five job, comfortable, not super happy, but comfortable, but they really want to do something else? Mm -hmm. My recommendation would be to bake out at least you know maybe two or three hours every week so whether it's after work one day or on a weekend morning a Saturday or Sunday block out a time for you to just really ask yourself those tough questions and if it's a business that you want to start use that time to brainstorm ideas because a lot of people think oh well I'd love to start a business but I don't have an idea you know what like there's this big misconception that the idea is just going to come and hit you on the head it doesn't always happen that way <laughs> and that and there's one perfect idea no for you, absolutely you know? not you have to open your mind up to let the creative juices flow and I know for me when I was burnt out in a management consulting job I didn't have time to open up my my brain to be creative it wasn't till like it was very hard and that's why I'm saying it's important to bake out that time where you can separate from your other work stuff and let let the creativity Turn your phone start off, exactly. off Facebook, like actually sit and think with it, Yes, which I don't think anybody really gives themselves time to do anymore. It's so important. So let your brain to start think in that different way again. So sit down with a pen and paper and just, even if just write anything, just free like, journal, right? Exactly. Just, just free journal. So write, write down, just get your brain back into that creative flow. Let those ideas, even if they sound like the most ridiculous things, just write them down and come back and, and visit them. And that's the way to start to get out of that kind of nine to five, you know, ho-hum mindset. Not really happy, not unhappy. 100% agree. I mean, like James Altucher always talks about this too, not necessarily like free journaling, but he always talks about writing down ideas. And he's done it for like the last 15 years. He writes down 10 ideas a day and not necessarily to like find that perfect business idea, but more so just to work out the muscle right? So it's just a muscle. It's absolutely, he's, he's just training himself to, to think, right. To actually have ideas that come each day, which I think is the same for somebody that's in a rut in a job that's kind of ho-hum and not happy, but not sad or not unhappy is start doing other stuff, journaling, writing. It'll just get you out of, it'll get you out of your routine and rut that you're in. And I think the important thing to do is Put it in your calendar. Don't just say, oh, I'm going to get around to it. Because no, I guarantee if you don't put it in your calendar, not happening. Come, come six o'clock or whatever time it is, you're going to be like, oh, I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm, I'm gonna not going to do it. I'm going to watch Netflix. Yeah. Like it's just not going to happen. So make it a, an appointment in your well, I think calendar. It goes back also to the pain, right? Like how, I don't know. I find it really like I've got a lot of friends that have corporate jobs, like not corporate, but like nine to five, right? They have somewhere to go. They work for somebody else. Um, and some of them entertain the idea of starting their own business, but they're too comfortable. So if you're too comfortable, I don't know. I just have, I don't know. I, I think you have to feel a sense of pain to really want to change your circumstance to actually do it. Mm-hmm. It's easy to talk about, right? It's easy to say, oh, yeah. I, I want a business. But to actually change your circumstance and go through it is it's a whole other bear. It takes, yeah, it takes time. It takes focus. Yeah. No, 100% agree. So... As an entrepreneur, it's not all its not all rainbows and butterflies. It's hard, right? There's tons of highs. There's tons of lows. Yeah. What do you do to kind of weather the storm when things aren't going right, per se? I think for me, having a consistent, a consistent pattern of balance throughout my life, I really do try to keep balance no matter how 
crazy things are getting at work. And I think that just always keeps things in perspective and keeps me more more level and feeling I, I don't go fall into these downward spirals and i think balance big, balance in terms of what like it, like health meditation things. that kind so of thing it'll or? be i think from a health perspective so making sure i'm i'm being active whether it's going to the gym running whatever it is making sure i'm having those consistent you know workouts whether you know three four times a week of heavy activity some lighter stuff on the other days really important for me to set aside that time if i've had a crappy sleep one night I will have that afternoon nap. I will have that power nap to feel energized. I don't let myself get too worn down and go into that downward spiral of being tired and exhausted and then can't focus when I'm working. So it's slower for me to accomplish things. I don't let myself fall into that pattern. And balance also in terms of even when I'm when I'm working, making time to you know, be social and enjoy things and enjoy life and have experiences. So even when I was, I told you I was in California for a better part of a month, bouncing around, doing a lot of business development stuff, meeting a lot of people. I also, I made sure I had time for myself. So I actually, you know, rented a few days. I went down to La Jolla and I, I rented an Airbnb yeah, right, we by, this last yeah, night. right by the ocean there and just had that time for myself to decompress and just, you know, in my case, again, and I got to do some more journaling and letting, like getting some ideas written down on paper and crystallizing some things that I had been pushing off and not focusing on that I needed to. And so making time for for those type of, of things, uh, things as well. You know, even I went to, um, I had a, a friend of mine, she came down from Toronto for a few days into L.A., and we went to to Magic Castle to see magic yeah. shows together. So doing fun stuff like that, out of out of the box things, it's really important to make sure I have that balance too, so that I I don't become just too work focused and drained. And again, like I, I've used the term already, but it's the downward spiral. I see people are like, oh, this isn't going well in business, so I need to put more time towards it. And then oh, but then they get tired and worn out. And I think it's yeah, you no, know, it's, I totally get it, and I think it's a really interesting point because. You know, with Gary Vee, his whole thing is hustle, 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 right? And he can do that. More power to the guy. The guy's an animal. He's he's crazy. But for everybody, that's 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 not in everybody's DNA. So if everybody tries to do that, then like you said, they're going to wear themselves out. They're going to get into a rut. They're going to get, you know, if they're just trying to start a business, they're going to get, what's the word I'm looking for? They're going to get discouraged. There yes, it is. Yeah. They're going to get discouraged because they're like, I can't do this. I'm worn out. I have a nine to five job and he wants me to work from 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. too. You just can't, it's not sustainable. And I think there's a way to do it because I do think there's a, a lot of people out there who, you know, I think that there's, a, again, it's back to balance. You don't need to be working, you know, a hundred hours a week that you can still be putting in a lot of, like even the hours I put in, I guarantee you what I'm accomplishing in one hour is probably more than what a lot of people can accomplish. Like if someone's unfocused, it'll take the same person, like double, oh, yeah. double, maybe three times. So I just stay super focused. And because of that, I think I'm able to combine in a shorter number of hours what most people would take longer. So that's the key. And I think that's what helps by making sure I'm fully rested and my my mind is like fully engaged. And then I can I can do more in a smaller amount of time. So I've got those other hours free because I'm all about hustle, but I'm not about burning out. <laughs> sure. No, that's, that's fair. So Obviously, this is the fail on podcast. So fail on is kind of the mantra we live by here with the idea if you're not failing, you're not growing, right? And if, if you're not trying, you're not failing, which in return, you're not growing. So with that said, how do you, when's the last time you did something that failed in terms of not, it doesn't have to be like a massive failure, but it can be just something that you did that didn't pan out and you learn from it. Yeah. So it's a tough I mean, question. <laughs> it's a tough question. It depends. The answer depends on, on the day. I mean, one that just kind of popped into my mind, you know, a few months ago, I, I hired someone in a role and I thought they were, you know, I'd spent a long time looking for this role and I, I thought I'd found the person and this person ended up kind of being one of those over promise under deliver type of people. And I, I, you know, I had to, you know, part ways with that person because it wasn't working them. out. I had to fire them. I was trying <laughs> to be was diplomatic. So I was just trying, <laughs> but I did have to fire that, fire that person. And that was failure in, in my eyes because I, there were certain warning signs that I, I didn't pick up on with this particular person. And then on top of that, there were a couple projects that this person was leading that kind of 
spun out of control and are, you know, even now that the person's gone, still kind of dealing with the aftermath and several months delayed, unfortunately, on a project that we wanted to launch that would have been pretty awesome. So we're just, you know, a lot of extra man hours had to go into kind of cleaning up that mess. So how are you going to, how are you going to take that and learn from it or do things differently next time? That's a good question. You know, I've I've learned some of the more warning signs to kind of look look for when when hiring. So I've definitely learned some hiring lessons. That was probably be the the biggest thing, and it just even makes me appreciate the the A players that I do have on the team that I've got who are you know putting their their heart and soul into Aquamobile every day and continue to grow and and put them the business first over their own needs. Sure. Yeah. That's hard to find. It, it absolutely because is Because obviously hard to find. nobody cares about your baby as much as you care about your baby. Yeah. So whenever you can find someone who can feel At get least pretty get close. Yeah. 80% yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Right? What's failure mean to you? Failure means you've, you've gone out there and you've tried something. You've put yourself out there. Because a lot of, I know a lot of people, I, or I, I, no, I shouldn't say I know a lot of people. I've, I've seen some people who don't like to get outside their comfort zone. And so they don't necessarily grow to that same level. And, you know, I see some of those people, I, I tell them they're, you know, I said, look, you have to, you know, just try, like, don't come down hard on yourself if something doesn't, don't worry about what other people are thinking. Just go and just try it. Because if you don't try, you will never know and you will never learn. Just exactly what you, you were saying. 100%. Totally agree. And I also believe that, so repeated trying, failing, and then learning, like, I think it's, it's a, like, Dev and, Dev and I were talking about this also in another, another conversation that, it's only failing if you quit, right? Like if you don't take a learning experience from it and turn it into into a positive like you did after your first audition, right? Yeah. You took that failure, you turned it into a positive by going out and doing it again, and then you saw success. So knowing that trying, failing, and learning is really the primary factor in how quickly people and businesses see positive outcomes. If somebody came to you wanting, like let's just say somebody in a corporate nine to five job comes to you and like, Diane, I want to start a business, but I don't know what to do. What's one directive or action item that you would give them as like a step one? Focus. You need to focus. And I give that advice so often. I think it ties to what I was saying earlier. Block out those several hours and use that to focus on, on getting those ideas down, figuring out how you're going to break away from that, that nine to five job. So focus is key. Who's had the single most profound impact on your life? If you had to name one person, <laughs> nobody names one person. Everybody's names two or three, but if you had oh, a- so many different, I mean, it's just, it, it totally depends. It's, it's funny. One person that just popped into my head now, and it's, it's someone who doesn't even know me very well. I, Andy Higgins, he is a track and field coach. I don't even know if he's still coaching anymore. And when I was on the varsity track team at U of T, I was a sprinter and he was there coaching some of the decathletes, couple Olympians. And I remember I would still go training even after I graduated at the track to keep fit. I still wanted to keep up with the sprinting. I was, I was stressed out. I was working in management consulting. And I remember he said to me, and I still think back to this, he said, Diana, he's like, what do you want from all of this? Like, what do you want from your life? Mm. And I didn't know the answer to it. It was all just like, I, I don't know. I was just kind of pushing, living, I was just pushing, pushing, pushing. Yeah. I was pushing to be a management consultant. So I was doing that. I was, I was pushing to do fitness, but it was not focused towards anything. And so I think back to that because he was onto something and he could, you know, he could see something that I didn't at the time. And it's funny, I'd love to, you know, run into him again and, and just be like, hey, like those words actually impacted me because I didn't have that full meaning. I think having Aquamobile now has brought that meaning back into my life. That's interesting because I think it's it's a common theme, right? It's like people push so hard for their goals, yet they don't really know why. Yeah. it's They don't start with who they are and what they value and like what they actually want to like, yeah, do. Yeah, what, what does this all mean? I mean, even if you're an investment bank or whatever, it's like you're making, you know, hundreds of thousands, a couple million dollars a year, whatever it is what are you doing this for? What are you running yourself into the ground for? What does this all mean? And now I have a much more clearer picture of, you know, and I see what he was trying to tell me without fully saying it back then. Those I, are always the best, right? When they don't really, like, you know who does this really well is Philip McKernan. Yes. He, yes, he does. <laughs> he'll just ask questions and then leave you with it. And I'm like, what? What does that even mean? What are you asking? Like, follow that up with another question or something. And, and so if I were to see ha- Andy Higgins today and, and be able to, properly answer that question. I mean, now I see it. 
I want to have an impact on other people's lives and, and add confidence to their lives. And that's for me, sports gave me confidence. And so I want to add confidence through sports and how I do that is through Aquamobile. And so having that impact, giving people that confidence, teaching people to be safe around water. And, you know, that's what I want to contribute to the world, at least at this point in time. And for myself, I want a life where I f- I'm feeling fulfilled and balanced and I'm experiencing things. And, and Aquamobile, I've, I've made sure to, to bake that in into my my path with Aquamobile and what I do outside of Aquamobile as well to make sure I'm having time to continue to experience new things. Like even even last night when we went to, you know, the group of us from Mastermind Talks, we went and did the Italian cooking class. That was an experience. I was so happy that Candace and Jason organized that because I've actually been wanting to go to one of Massimo Bruno's cooking classes for, or just one of his dinner parties for months. He was great. His dinner parties sell out so quickly. Oh, did they? I didn't didn't know. Oh yeah, I'm on his mailing list and like you have to kind of pounce, like you have to have friends ready to kind of say, okay, I can do this day, but my friends are too slow. So (laughs) food was amazing though. Oh, it was so good. I could have kept eating and eating, even though <laughs> no, I didn't need I, I didn't need to eat any more food. But the focaccia, I just kept going. Like, I know some might take it away, but no, it, it's it's cool to hear about your bigger picture view with Aquamobile. And one thing I did want to say is that the people you need to be impacting are people like Jason Gaynard who can't swim. I know, and who fell out of a kayak in the Bahamas and almost drowned. I'm not kidding you. Without without a life jacket on. I heard this story. First of all, Jason. <laughs> Wear your life jacket. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Don't go in a kayak without one. That's in the ocean, like in the with ocean. waves. And- I think I've got some YouTube videos that I've posted where I explain the importance of a PFD, a personal flotation device. Let's send that, Let's to him send that over to him. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because I've actually so Jason's daughter, Ava, I've you know, made the offer multiple times to you know, to hook them up with swim lessons and now I, I see where I've gone wrong. I've been offering swim lessons <laughs> to the wrong person in the family. <laughs> totally. You know, she's a little fish. I yeah. need, needed to be offering it to Jason this whole time. Oh, that's awesome. Jason, call me. You know my number. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, not, it's not too late to learn how to swim. <laughs> <laughs> and not even just to swim, like to actually like not drown. Not drown. It's really important. <laughs> so on that note, what do you, I know you mentioned stuff outside of Aquamobile, but within Aquamobile, outside of Aquamobile, whatever it may be, what are you most excited about moving forward? Oh, wow. I mean, so, I mean, within Aquamobile, I'm just, I'm really excited about some of the the kind of the innovative things that we've got on top tap for 2017. I'm excited that we've been able to give a pay raise to our instructors for 2017. Awesome. Yeah. Like that means a lot to me to kind of, you know, again, I'm trying to give back. I, I'm kind of past that. It's, it's all about me. It's not like it's about the customers. It's about the instructors and like, I mean that more and more each day. I get like so, so into it. And so that's kind of, I'm excited about some of those innovations that I think will help make the customer and instructor experience a better one. And even for my customer service reps to make things more efficient outside of work, I'm excited for like, you know, just all sorts of new experiences that I've kind of got on, on the horizon. I mean, you know, I've, I'm looking forward, I'm doing a couple talks coming up. I'm going to be at Big Omaha giving a talk there in front of a crowd of entrepreneurs. I guess that's in May. I've got mastermind talks coming up in Carmel. So I've actually, I'm going to, after Big Omaha, I'm going to go into Carmel a couple days early, oh, nice. just spend some time, you know, recharge time. Recharge like we talked time about. Exactly. Yeah. So baking that time in for myself. And then I love to try and do a big trip every year, like once the busy season is over to kind like of international type deal. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. I'm torn. I do, I would really love to do kind of like like a surf and learn Spanish trip. And maybe even like, depending on how long I make that trip, even then turn it into a kind of like work from abroad type place. So I can kind of, you know, work part of the day then, you know, either surf or Spanish. And so I'd, I'd like to do, balance, right? yeah, I'd like to do something like that. And then I'm also excited for, you know, looking at some expansion into Australia as well. So their seasons are opposite of ours. So. Yeah, that would really, yeah. I was going to ask you earlier, I didn't, you know, we're running tight on time, but I think I was going to ask you, how are you going to mitigate kind of the slow season? And I think that's, that's, that's a brilliant way yeah. to do it. And I think there's, there's, it's, it's a, it's a great market, a tons of pools and they appreciate water safety. English speaking, it's yeah, Commonwealth less, country, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time and coming yeah, to sit fun. down. This has been fun. They're way better in person, aren't they? Oh, Totally. <laughs> totally. 
So I'll let you run, but thanks so much for sitting down and chatting. And we'll catch you next time. Looking forward to it. All right. So you can find Diana at Diana M. Goodwin on Twitter. That's at Diana M. Goodwin. And of course, all the links and resources Diana and I discussed, including more information on her company, Aquamobile, can be found at the page created especially for this episode. You'll find that at failon.com slash 021. And next week, we are sitting down with Matthew Bertulli. He is the founder of DMAC Media, an eight-figure e-commerce products and services company that has over 100 employees. He's also the founder of a seven-figure company, Payla Case. He is an angel investor and most recently an author of the book, Anything, Anywhere. Matthew discusses how he got started in business and the struggles and hardships he has faced along the journey. It's a good one. Don't miss it. And if you found value in today's conversation, please email me at rob at failon.com and let me know what your biggest struggle is right now. And as I continue to build out Failon with the goal of helping people embrace failure, share their struggle, and decide once and for all to create change in their lives, I'd be really grateful if you could help me with a couple things. Subscribing to the podcast takes a single click and helps me out a ton. When you click the subscribe button and leave a rating and quick review, this helps the podcast simply be discovered by more people. To rate and review the podcast, super simple. Visit failon.com slash iTunes or failon.com slash Stitcher. That's all for this episode of the Fail On Podcast. For more resources, show notes, and action items to help you find success in your failures, sign up for our mailing list at failon.com. For more actionable inspiration, we'll catch you next time right here on the Fail On Podcast.